Hello and welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman. I'm Jaden Haynes and our focus today is on AI and the world around it. We're talking chat GPT, DALI and mid-journey and how they will enhance or threaten creativity. Today we'll be speaking to two experts in the tech industry. Tim Weber is the executive director and the head of editorial at Edelman UK. As a technology specialist and former BBC business editor, Tim helps clients tell their stories with an editorial approach. Miles Cameron is the head of connected experiences for Emea and a passionate technology enthusiast. Having grown up inventing and building products, Miles began his career in software development and pairs his understanding of electrical engineering with digital production. Tim, Miles, thanks for joining us on Sideload. Uh, so, Miles, my first question for you is. What is AI and why is there been a sudden surge of interest in it over the past few months? So that's a, quite a big question and quite a broad question, but AI as, a, as a, a, a technique is basically using machines to act like a cube, uh, like human brain. So it uses a number of different techniques such as like machine learning, looking at data, data algorithms and processing to take complex problems or complex um, scenarios and actually narrowing that down into a number of different like routes um it's manifested itself in a huge different array of ways of being applied obviously it started off very very simple um as people have been trying to use it to generate conversations and generate even using it to save electricity i remember google DeepMind um when they purchased DeepMind, they actually applied it to their and data centers to actually save electricity. So it's got like so many versatile uses, but the technology behind it is been advancing so quickly um, as we would have seen over the last six months even, um, that people are struggling to actually keep up with it. And I think one of the biggest things that people don't really understand about AI is generally people don't know how AI works like in terms of how it's making the decisions. Um, sure, you're, you can build the systems in a way um, so you actually build the systems to learn and adapt, but when it actually comes to the making the decisions, the AI is basically a load of binary ones and zeros. Um, and so you can't necessarily read the code. It's not like someone has written the AI code itself. Um, so in terms of how it's making those decisions, it, it can be very complex. Um, but yeah, it's an ever evolving space with so many different players and obviously so many different, um, influences that are driving the uh, development of these AI tech. And yeah, it's it's going to really revolutionize the world and it already is. So. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen that and the way that it's advancing so quickly. Um, you mentioned that it's almost trying to replicate a human brain or it is similar to like a human brain in a way. So how smart do you think AI really is, Miles? Like, can we imagine a future where like entire books and art exhibitions are created just with computers there's no human involvement at all well i think it's an interesting question because ai on the on the surface level it seems really smart but then when you actually ask it complex questions it's very good at obvious answers like um so black and white answers and then as soon as you start getting into more the creativity side of things that's where it starts unfolding a little bit so it appears like it's got loads of creativity but that's because it's influencing all of these creatives that already exist within the data set. So for example, ChatGPT, that's looking at everyone's input from the internet basically since 2001. So 
all of the data is sort of flowing into these systems and they're learning based on what's around them. So if you ask it a question, it's amalgamating a load of different responses that it's already seen and it's sort of learned and understood how someone will respond to that question. But it's all about the data input. So the better the data you put in, the better the output you're going to have. And that's always a common problem with any of these types of AI systems, which is why you get so many of these biases when it actually comes to the outputs. And one of the biggest concerns for, for AI at the moment is how are we going to like validate this data that's flowing in when you want it to learn off so much information and suddenly you're getting into a whole realm of issues of human biases that are just built into everyday life um but yeah it's it's right now i think when people are looking at ai they sort of compare it to say like a six-year-old um but it really depends on how you're comparing it because obviously if you ask it a math question it's going to be amazing right if you ask it legal questions you know there's already been shown that chat gpt was able to pass the bar right so it's very, very difficult. But then you ask it to generate a, a unique creative piece of art and maybe it might not be on the same sort of scale as you might have from a, a young child. So it's a real, a real mix. But it's a very difficult question because while it is trying to emulate human brains, it doesn't work in that way. So it's it's not really the same as a way that a human brain works. Like in terms of a human brain, it's like making those different connectivities. It's looking at the different synapses that's in your head, making all these different pathways. Whereas in an AI, it's looking at huge, huge data sets and making decisions. Um, whereas what we do as a, as a human is selectively choose based on our historical, like um, how we've actually experienced life. Right? And that's taken years and years and years and years. These AIs are trained in a matter of years, like, uh, a few years um, and really depends on how they've been trained as well. I mean, the, the, these AIs, when they really answer you on probability, what do they think or what do they know sounds right, reads well, uh, and everything that they reply is based on what they saw somewhere else. Um, I uh, saw an AI researcher on Twitter comparing the output from AIs uh, to sludge. He said it can be very pretty sludge, but it is ultimately sludge. It is taking everything that's out there, it's mixing it up and taking it out. So there are, there are these notorious cases where something, a painting that uh, an AI has generated won an art exhibition. But ultimately what the AI did, it took a lot of existing paintings and recombined them based on the prompts it was given and then output something. Um, now, is this intellectual theft uh, using lots of other things, or is it just a new version of a collage like artists have been doing through the years? You, you can debate that. But the point is, it is not truly creative. It is taking something that exists and is just repurposing it. And you find that, especially when it comes to text, a lot of the AI uh, is, is very good and summarizing content out there, writing it, it even, uh, you can even tell it whether it should be more um, precise or more creative or more colloquial or more funny or satirical. If you look, for example, at 
the new Bing chatbot, it literally gives you options. What style do you want me to answer this? And in which style do you want me to compose this? And and you and, and it gets that based on its training material. But uh, this is where it, it gets critical. Uh, it's only as good as the material it gets given. And uh, if it uses false information, it will give you false information. And the second one, and this is actually the most interesting one, uh, and, and this is where I started to understand how AI works. And that's when AI hallucinates. If you ask um, AI to give you an answer about something that is a known false thing, uh, so AI was, for example, asked, uh, what is the world record for walking across the English Channel? Now, of course, you can't walk across the English Channel, but the AI came up with an answer that said, oh, it's this and that person, he did there, it took him that long, and on and on. So complete insanity and falsehood. And so the question is, what happens in an AI when it starts hallucinating? Um, someone, I think it used to be uh, the former head of AI for um, uh, Tesla, he once said, we can either have AIs that we do not understand, or they'll be probably 97% accurate, or we will have AIs that we actually do understand, but they will only be 90% accurate. So this is this black box, what's happening in there. And the problem is, what if you encounter these 3%, well, maybe it's more, uh, and, and we allow ourselves to be guided by it. Uh, and, and this is where the human factor comes in, uh, the critical thinking comes in, and, and also the a healthy uh, understanding of, of what can go wrong when you use AI. Uh, that, that will be absolutely critical as we deploy these technologies because they're very powerful. They're awesome, but they have Achilles heels. You said at the end there, this, this element, this idea of trust in AI and this idea of can you actually trust what it's putting out? Because if it's getting its information from a wrong source, it's going to feed that incorrect information straight back at you. So we know from the Edelman 2023 trust barometer that media is one of the least trusted institutions globally. So Tim, just on that, do you think that AI going forward can be a trusted source of news because it's just it's only becoming more sophisticated? Um, the, the, I, I don't think it can be a trusted source of news. Uh, it can help journalists uh, to be better, but I don't think it will be trusted. If you look at um, a one of our trust barometers from a few years back, um, you you will see that over the past 23 years of the trust barometer, trust in the technology sector has begun to crumble. And the more far out a technology is, like AI, the less public trust in that technology is. Now, the thing is, a lot of people use AI without knowing that they use AI. Their spam filter is powered by AI. Their face recognition they are TikTok filters powered by AI. And they probably don't quite understand that there is an AI behind that. But journalism uh, uh, that just relies on AI, uh, uh, I don't think can truly gain trust because of the inherent danger that there's a bias being built in. Uh, it's a little bit like um, a lot of people don't like to customize the home pages that they get on news sites because they say, I want a human to tell me what is important, not my own, you know, pure interest because I would miss things. Uh, but of course, uh, actually AI might produce the opposite. 
uh, a team of researchers has just discovered uh, an, that a news channel, and I think it was it's called Wolf TV, um, they have two presenters, a man and a woman, and uh, they tell you very plausible news stories, uh, except both people are not people. They are created, generated by an AI. Their voices are generated by an AI. The suspicion is that the text comes from an AI. That, and what it does is it makes China look good to Western audiences. It is probably a influence operation by the Chinese government that it tries to look very Western, is produced relatively cheaply. So once you get that, and, and when, when you watch a video from me, you would struggle to see that this is an AI. You, you wouldn't realize it as, as an old person. And at that point, uh, actually what AI might trigger is not so much a loss of trust in AI, which I think will be there, but in all kinds of journalism. How do you know what you see, what you hear, the voice of a person is real? Yeah, in there. there's an AI that allegedly, if it has listened to my voice for three or four seconds, it can perfectly replicate it. Now, the next time I call you and say, hi, uh, Jaden, can you do this for me? Do you know it's me speaking or someone trying to trick our company? That, that, at that point, it gets really scary, but, but also very, very interesting, of course. Because you can use it for something that is good and positive. I think. I think the interesting, the interesting thing here is these technologies are here. They're here to stay. They're coming. And so the big question now is, how do we make it so that all of this content that's being generated, like where do we sit? Like how do we build trust into this? I think AI can be a very very powerful tool when it comes to trust. Like we could actually the algorithms could be trained in a way to only look at trustworthy information. But then you've got the challenge of, okay, how do we determine what's trustworthy? And this is the age-old question, right? And it's the thing that we've been trying to figure out for years and years and years, decades, hundreds of years, right? Who, who do you trust? How do you trust it? Um, but I think by building an AI algorithm, let's say I'm using ChatGPT, right? Um, just an example. I could ask it a question for example, walking across, you know, the English Channel, how long that took. But by adapting my prompts and saying, please provide credible citations or credible sources for where this is shown to be true, right? You can adapt that those questions to actually get more credible information and then leave the chatbot experience to go and read credible sources. But we still need to determine what our credible sources are. You know, do we look white papers only? Do we look at the scientific community? Do we look at journalists? Do we look at, because there's such a broad spectrum of people out there and all it takes is one or two bad actors in each different industries and suddenly you've got bad data coming into the system and no real way of telling whether this is credible or not. COVID deniers, for example, um, used, uh, I think, ChatGTP um, to, uh, oh no, sorry, well, scientists try to see what Jet GDP would do if they say, hi, I don't believe uh, in COVID. Uh, can you write me an article that long in the style of this influencer to, to prove it? And it did it within seconds. Okay, now write it to me like an old person. Now write it like 
a military man would write, a teenager would write. The same thing. Within 15 minutes, they had created a huge amount of fake news, of disinformation that they could pump out there. Imagine that is being done at an industrial scale, say by bad actors, state actors, say Russia in the war in, in Ukraine, uh, and so on. It, 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 it kind of, it was bad already. <laughs> the floodgates can potentially open. And then, just like we had spam filters, will we have AI filters that protect us against that? I don't know. Uh, some of these AI filters to to produce uh, to 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 recognize chatbot output are allegedly fairly good. Others can be fooled. It'll be another uh, arms race of uh, of technology of consumer technology. You we would have probably been having very very similar arguments before the internet came along as well. Like people being like, well, how do I know which information is true? Like anyone can just post this information online. How are we going to vet it? And it's exactly the same types of conversations. As soon as you have some sort of development where you have access to more information and you, you aren't, there isn't a physical person in front of you. There's not a physical book. There's it's, it's all digital. Then how do you trust it? So I think we're going to see this space develop very quickly. It's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to get more and more advanced because it just helps people. Anything that helps people, like the value exchange here, is just massive on the consumer side. You know, imagine what our AI assistants are going to be doing in the future, right? We're going to talk about some more of Tim and Mars's takeaways on AI shortly. But firstly, let's take a quick listen to this clip from the last episode of Sideload when we discussed trust in tech. Companies in the tech sector globally still are the most trusted sector overall. However, when you dig deeper, what we find is that in many of the markets, it is no longer, in fact, it has lost its leadership position. Um, over the last 10 years, there's been a 24-point drop in trust in the technology sector in the U.S., and double-digit drops in many other important technology-centric markets. So what is happening here is that the tech sector definition over that period of time has changed. When people think of technology companies, they are just as likely to be thinking about companies that make the digital apps that we use on our phones to run our lives, but they're also to a great extent likely to think of social media. You're listening to Sideload, and today we're talking about AI and the world around it. Tim Weber and Miles Cameron are experts in technology and are sharing their thoughts on how AI interacts with the creative world. So we've spoken a bit about how AI sources from the whole the, the internet to give out a value dependent on whatever you ask it for ChatGPT, for example. And um, Tim, I like the way that you described it as like a collage because that's an artistic medium which has been accepted for a long time. Um, in spite of that, there's been a lot of debate online about the ethics behind AI in general. For example, evidence of image generating AI stealing from specific artists. Um, Miles, do you think it's possible to have unbiased AI? In the artistic world, like actually making generative art or just generally? Because uh, I think I don't think it's possible for anything to be created that is unique, but that is not 
even in the context of AI. I think everything we create today is based on previous like um, recollections based back to like other piece of art, other piece of content. You're always drawing on your own um, experiences, right? So I think one of the interesting things is I don't think there's any way that we're going to be able to manage this from a copyright perspective, right? And this is the big thing. It's like as soon as you start using generative approaches to creating content, creating images, creating art, like as an individual, I could go out and I could generate a database of say a billion different variations of a piece of writing, a song, uh, a piece of art, and then say, oh, I own the copyright to all of these things. Now in the future, when generate something vaguely similar, I can go and do a copyright claim and say, oh, actually, I generated this. But it's only because I generated every single variation of how this could have been laid out, right? And so it's, it just becomes an absolute minefield. Like I, I'm thinking specifically on the music side, because obviously music generation, chord progressions, different styles and the way that that can be brought together. You could easily write an AI to just generate every single chord progression. I will like just generate trillions of different chord progressions and I'll upload that to a, say the YouTube copyright um, systems. And now you can do copyright strikes on every single song that comes out, you know? Um, it's a bit like uh, already AI is it can yeah, develop every single folding of a protein for medical purposes. Uh, which is absolutely awesome, and there are a couple that have done that. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, you apply that anywhere else, and could you copyright on every single protein folding that hasn't happened yet in nature? Mm, probably not. Yeah. Uh, so what about music? And that's exactly it. Here, I think it still comes down to the individual that creates it. You know, let's think of from an artist perspective. You think of Banksy, right? Um, Banksy is extremely popular, but how many people have copied his work, created prints of his work, created variations of his work? That doesn't mean that those variations are as valuable as a Banksy original, right? It, it comes down to the individual who created it, the feeling and purpose of why it was created at the time, like that moment of time. It's so it it's anyone can create an image, but that's also like I could just go in and take a screenshot of an image or take a picture of the Mona Lisa doesn't mean I own it. It doesn't mean that I created it, you know? So I think there's elements there where sure it's easy for us to generate art, but it still needs to have the meaning, the, the story behind it, the individual, and um, for it to have value for, for us as you, the human race. Right. So do you think that links to this idea of craftsmanship, like that you can't, you can't replicate using AI, the craftsmanship of art that's necessarily gone into it. I can play a Beatles song, but I'm not, I haven't created it. I'm not the Beatles, no matter how well, or no matter how similarly I play it to, to how they played it. Does that make sense? You can't replicate that creative process in a way. I think you can, but I think it's all subjective, right? <laughs> I am, I like, if I generate a billion songs, one of those is probably going to be a hit, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's just it's just a matter of like numbers when you get to that point, but that doesn't mean that that approach could work sustainably because I don't think people just buy into a song sounding good. You know, you get loads of 
people that have, you know, number one hits and then they just disappear because they might not have that that personality, that thing that people can latch onto and they go, oh, I want to follow that person. So while you could use AI to generate the songs, I think you still need that charisma, that, that personality behind it. Because um, at the moment, no one can relate to an AI, right? They're not going, oh yeah, I could imagine being friends with that person or that thing. <laughs> um, so I think it's, like I said, I think it'll be interesting. I think people will be using AI to generate songs um, and generate lyrics, but then they'll they'll do what we're all doing right now with AI, which we might use it to do the initial draft, and then we'll adapt it. We we use it to find ideas, thought starters, like those are little ignition points that will help us develop our own creativity and allow us to spend less time on the mundane stuff. For example, I, I maybe I've come up with a maybe I've come up with my own lyrics, and I want to create a composition that goes around that lyric. I could generate loads of those very quickly without having to go back and forth with loads of different people. Um, obviously, it gets into the whole ethics of people's jobs and people's creativity, but all technology is going to impact that. So, um, any new tech is... There was a radio station, or rather a radio station provider in the United States that uses open sources like Twitter posts and so on to determine what a certain community where you would broadcast would be interested in what they're talking about. Uh, we talk about that use, of course, media and so on. Uh, and then the AI creates a, a playlist, because it's a radio station, but all the voices speaking in between are automatically generated by the AI, drawing on people tweeting, I don't know, about an accident on 34th Street call off Broad Street or whatever it is and and they say hey, wherever you live wherever you operate, we can give you a fully AI driven radio station but the important thing here is obviously it relies on something else, the human input it's effectively you know, a Gargantian copyright violation if you want, but certainly using open sources to generate that and this is I think where we think about creativity, it's also important. You can ask an AI to, say, write your press release. You can ask an AI to write you an essay for school, but it does that based on what is out there. When it comes to being truly creative, truly original, not derivative at all, it'll fall down. Yes, it may probably be better than some very poor uh, authors who write nothing but a deluge of identikit romance books or whatever it is. But um, uh, let's just say you, now I'm talking about public relations, let's say you work with a client who is at the cutting edge of their field, who have invented something new. You can't go to an AI and say, hey, write something up for me because the AI doesn't have a reference point. And there's only that much you want to feed into an AI, certainly not the ones that are there right now, because everything you feed into an AI effectively becomes part of its body of work. So you have huge issues around secrecy, uh, non-disclosure, and so on. So you, you, you will need humans to have that. But what you can do, what you can use now for, and I've got a colleague in, in the US who is trialing this at the moment, they're, they're using an AI where 
one of the humans has written a wonderful piece of text, maybe an opinion piece, um, a blog post, uh, or they've done a video, an interview with someone. And then they feed that into the AI and say, write me 10 Twitter posts, two short LinkedIn posts in this and that tone, speaking from this point, person's point of view based on what I've just given you. And it spits it out, a then reviews it saying, yeah, that's good, that isn't good. And presto, you suddenly have, in a record number of time, self-aid is pretty decent, maybe even good because it works with something that is truly original. It can even, you know, take, I don't know, a 10 minute interview for all I know this, this podcast and say, okay, I find you the 10 best 30 second clips in this podcast uh, and uh, I'll, I'll cut it ready for you. You can approve which ones you want. The only problem being that both mice and, and I are uh, using fairly long sentences, so I'm not sure they hit the 20 second mark. But, you know, that's what AI can do. Yeah, it, it seems like there's almost two camps where it's like AI is going to replace us or AI can be used as a tool to enhance our jobs, that sort of thing. Um, and like the pace of technology, yeah, only ever seems to be increasing. So I guess my next question is, how do we think AI will develop over the next decade, say? And how do you think our relationship with AI will develop with it? Um, Miles, would you have any thoughts about that? It just instantly makes me think of her, you know, the movie, Heather. <laughs> um, like that's just, I think our AI assistants are going to be getting so much better and so many, so much more useful. Like right now, I think I use my like AI assistants to switch my lights on and off. And that's basically it, right? Maybe like, you know, phone mum, you know, th those types of things. But as soon as it becomes a, a thing of like, hey, can you write me this email to this person and then read it back to me? And then, you know, that, that sounds great. Send it. You know, suddenly it's, it's more of like, an actual tool that I can use in my day-to-day -day life that makes me spend less time doing the things that I don't want to be necessarily doing and more time just living life. Um, and I think that's what all technology should be there to do, right? Is to allow us to give us more time. But I think it's going to be a bit of time until obviously we get to <laughs> levels of her. But um, in terms of like the next big things, I think we're going to be, well, we're already seeing it. I think it's going to change people's search behaviors, how they're using search engines, you know, as Tim already mentioned, how um, Microsoft is already integrating ChatGPT and with that and thing. And I think it's going to change the way that we look for information, find information. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of guardrails and a lot of discussions around, you know, how do we use this in a way that's not going to impact our ability to trust the information that comes back um and i think it's only a good thing personally because right now the way that we search for information and try and find information is very like robotic you know you know find me find me this like the, the way that you want for things it becomes a very very like to the point type questions whereas i think we can start getting into more of like a conversational style um, way of searching for information, generating information. And I think if anything, that's going to be a good thing because you have to develop your language skills. I, I always worry about the children that are growing up with social media and like search engines today. And they, they're like 
will know how to use a Google search engine to get to information that they want, but maybe their conversational abilities like might drop off. And um, I don't have anything to cite there to show that that's factual. But um, I, I do always worry about how children are growing up with these types of technology around them because we have no idea how it will impact them in the future. And like you said, the technology is adapting so quickly. We like no one can predict what it's going to be like in two, three years because ChatGPT came out like what six months ago, something like that. And media has just been focused so much on it. It's just been like ChatGPT's done this, ChatGPT's done this, Midjourney's done this, Dali's done this. Like all these different AI tools are just—it's just shocking people in what it's capable of doing. And it's interesting because while it's been an amalgamation of like years and years and years of work, suddenly it's getting to a point where people are like, oh, now I can see it all coming together and now I can see why people have been talking about it for a long time. Whereas historically people have been like, oh, this is okay, but it's not as good as me. Now it's starting to get closer and closer and closer to what we're able to do. And people are starting to worry. Um, There's a qualitative change literally over the past year yeah until then you know there was a bit of ai here and there but it was all but if it was a little but it was like you know when you when you had your mobile phone and you were uh, doing voice to text you were speaking to it you used to be pretty atrocious and then suddenly there was this jump where it got pretty decent and we have the seen the same thing but at a different scale really on ai it was yeah, but if he not very good, and suddenly, it it writes stuff back to you that you think, wow, they write better than my kids uh, with better grammar. So yeah, it's uh, that is a big big change. What I think, um, I think uh, uh, the speed of development and the emergence of new tools right now is such that I would not dare to predict what's even possible in half a year from now. Um, but I think we're going to see another fundamental change, and trust will be very important here. Um, when search engines emerged, Google and, and others, um, and when Facebook and others emerged, uh, there was always this saying, uh, well, you get it for free, uh, but your data, your behavior is the price you pay. Yeah? So that the, them tracking them tracking what you do, your data, are the cost. And I think uh, are the product. Uh, and with AI, because of the way it communicates with us, it gives a linear answer. It usually gives a single choice answer. What should I do tonight? Where should I go on holiday in Spain in the second half of September? And I want some C and whatnot. It will give you two or three, well, maybe one thing even now, yeah? And, um, at that point, what we actually do will become the product. And that can be gained or paid for by companies. Or alternatively, uh, there will be AIs that we can trust to be objective or to truly be someone I want to rely on, where I know they will not push me in a direction where somebody paid a lot of money to push me in that direction. But because it is something that is objectively better or, or nicer or, or that, like, you know, any TripAdvisor review can, or, or rating can be gained again. But, you know, what, what is it? Maybe there I can even detect the game 
And third, do I trust the AI to do this? Uh, will I, my behavior, my buying pattern become the product? That That is the question uh, with AI. In the same way, it will my work performance become the product of the AI? Or what is there for me? And, and is it truly augmenting me or is it directing me? That That's where we, we, we have to put the guardrails in. Sounds ominous and exciting at the same time. Uh, if once I get my like Iron Man-esque Jarvis, then I'll be happy. And then I can just stand alone and, and be done with it. Um, thanks for your time, guys. My final question is, could you, if you can, please give five words to describe how you see the future of AI and our creative world? Well, I also chat about that question, actually. Yeah, of course. And, and I came back with uh, five different ways of, of describing it. I, I just picked two. Uh, augmenting creativity with data analysis was one. The other okay. one saying affecting human agency and control. Doesn't say whether positively or negatively. At, but I think my own take on it is probably a more correct. Uh, it'll be a wild ride. All right. I'm going to do one. I've just come up with this one off the top of my head, but and so probably unlocking more time for everyone um, because I think AI is just going to give us so much more time, so much more freedom to do what we want to do. And I think that's what technology can really enable us is just giving us more time to focus on that, like our passions rather than doing things that we might not necessarily want to be doing. Um, obviously, we need to figure out universal wage and all those things first. <laughs> Wait, yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, a lovely note to, to finish on. Tim, Miles, thanks for joining us on the show. And a big thank you to you for listening to this episode of Sideload. Don't forget to follow the podcast on your favorite podcast player. Just search Edelman UK. And if you want to get in touch, send an email to sideload at edelman.com. Goodbye. Goodbye.